Hello and welcome to The Right Idea, where we discuss the people, policy, and politics that drive Texas. I'm your host, Brian Phillips, the Chief Communications Officer at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Derek Cohen, who is our Vice President of Research. We usually have a guest, or we've started to have more guests this year in season two of uh, of the right idea. But but this week we just decided to give everybody a break, and you know because our hot takes are really what the people want to hear, Derek. So scalding. So no so no guests this week. Are we are we going to be able to carry the show here for us? Uh, you know I, I've been been rehearsing all the jokes that I usually you know conceptualize and microwave for different audiences. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell the same one about three times, so I'm happy to share those with the audience. Excellent. Well, I can't wait for that. Um, and since this is a podcast and we're not on broadcast news, they can be of a colorful, colorful variety, uh, but, you know, as long as we don't get fired. Well, we've talked about going, you know, like the right idea after dark, you know, it's a yes. uh, nice little uh, blue. I uh, like that. For the, 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 uh, the only time TPBF goes blue. I like it. Look at you. And, and I'm I should have said that. I should have gone right to camera on that, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the marketing guy here. Uh, but, the, but, but facing us is the biggest question of the week. The most important issue, of course, is the Super Bowl on Sunday. Mm. Um, and so I figured we'd just go ahead and get that out of the way, get your hot takes, get your, get your evaluations uh, of the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers, mm. two teams that were expected to make it this far. They, ha- they indeed have. Um, uh, what's your, what are your thoughts on Sunday? Well, as we, I mean, I think it's been well documented at this point that this is all just a psyop to set up an, an, uh, an endorsement of Biden I, I in 2024. Was, I was trying not to go with, uh, with the Taylor Swift. Uh, oh yeah. But, that, but I think but I mean, look, right been, there, just jumped right it, in. You know what? It ripped the bandaid off. It's all been well established. No, <laughs> all, all joking aside. And that was obviously the one of, I think, I think it, the, the funny part about that whole, I wouldn't even call it a conspiracy theory, but the whole, the funny part about that was, you know, even folks on the right that were like prone to that kind of those kind of shenanigans were like that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard because yeah look is Hillary Clinton a lizard alien yes we can all agree absolutely but this Taylor Swift stuff so you know it's that, a bridge too far it's a bridge too far but no all, all joking aside on the actual merits of the game uh, if I had to put money down um, do you know what the line is by any chance and it's not legal in Texas yeah not yet I don't know what the, I don't know what the line is but I can oh, see it's two and a half it's actually two and a half uh, minus two and a half for Kansas City so they're actually I the can, underdog. I, I could, I could, oh, then I could see them. I, if I were putting money down, which I'm not, I would see that. I would see them cover. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I, I don't see necessarily how, if you look at where the infirmities were on Kansas City, specifically when, well, their entire offense just had massive drops for like right, yeah. five weeks there yeah. uh, towards the end of the regular season. Yeah, even though these teams were favored to be there, they both had circuitous routes to get there. Yeah, and, and and not only that, but I mean, again, we talked. You know, I, last time I was on, we talked about uh, the Lions, and unfortunately, them them coming up short. But you, you know, over they it yet too soon. What was you, that? Are you over it yet? Too soon. Uh, you know, I I was. I was really, really excited. I, you know, I mentioned that my brother lives in Vegas, and so the talk was, if the Lions go, I'll go to Vegas for the game. Now, obviously, not to the game. So yeah, that would I'm be not, two not, episodes that yeah. you would have skipped. Yeah, I was like, not, uh, <laughs> not, uh, not looking to drop fifteen grand to stay at the Excalibur or whatever, uh, whatever sort of <laughs> well, deal. Stay they were now offering. while you can. There's a stadium coming to the Excalibur. Well, well that, that's a whole other thing. That's what we should talk about. We should talk about all these like this, these subsidized sports development and all the you can suss that out. But neither here nor there. That was going to be the plan. If the Lions made it, I was going to go uh, hang out and just looking at what the ticket prices are for flights there. Mm. Oh. Or, or you know loyalty points or whatever the case might be. This it was 
prohibitively expensive before it and now it's which is really not the case i mean usually vegas wants you wants desperately for you Mm. to come out there and start gambling so usually the the flights and things like that are are usually pretty cheap um that is not the case at the moment yeah i've I've been to (laughs) vegas quite a bit um just for fun and and for work actually i used to live out there for six months and it is funny the, the 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 plane to vegas is a party i mean everybody's in a good mood everybody's ready to roll the the plane home from vegas a little different a lot of bleary eyes for one way or the other you know um well so if you're looking if you don't have a dog in this hunt uh, yeah. like you're like the lions um i did look at the rosters of both teams and there are more players that went to texas universities on the kansas city chiefs that checks. of course including patrick mahomes of course who went to texas tech there's also charles minihu who went to the university of texas um that said don't forget former bearcat travis kelsey there you go well i'm going texas i'm going texas but yeah um san francisco only has two um however Kyle Shanahan, a lot of people don't know this, but Kyle Shanahan is a Longhorn. He's a lifetime Longhorn. He, huh. he played receiver uh, in the early 2000s. I mean, he wasn't, didn't really have a career, didn't get drafted or anything. I think he probably caught maybe three touchdowns his entire time. But, of course, he's a great coach. Uh, but he is. A, Kyle Shanahan for the San Francisco 49ers is a lifetime Longhorn. So I will, I will say, just so you, and you can hold me to account, it's a lock, baby. We can put it down right now. The red team's going to win. The, red, <laughs> the ones wearing red shirts or red pants? Yeah. Uh, so, no. All, all joking aside, like I said, I think I think if the lines, uh, you know, Chiefs given two, two and a half, I think they'll cover. I mean, but the two and a half is really not. I mean, that might as well be a pick'em, right? Because yeah. I mean, the, the uh, odds are not that somebody's going to win by one point. Or somebody's going to at least win by three. So that's yeah. not really a. Uh, I'll pick them. Okay. Uh, well, enough of that gambling talk. Um, I, I will probably, I don't know, it's tough. I mean, I'll probably be rooting for Kansas City, but I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm with you. It could really, really go either way. All right. So now we've gotten that um, out of the way. That was the most important question. Let's get to, <laughs> um, well, I mean, really, where do we start? There was a lot that happened this week. Uh, we've got a bunch of issues we want to get to. You know, I love polling. There was a new poll that came out um, earlier this uh, this week. And I mean, that's like catnip for people like us. You know, Mm -hmm. we just dive right in uh, to the polling things. I want to pull out. This is, of course, uh, University of uh, Tech, excuse me, University of Houston. uh, The Hobby School of Public Public Affairs puts out a poll every month, I think, um, or so. Uh, And just going through this one, they did a couple of different reports uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, This one was specifically on um, on the uh, Republican primary Mm. election. They did a Democrat one, too. uh, And then they did one on the Senate races and things like that. So we won't get too into the political stuff of this, of course, because we're a 501c3 nonprofit on support one way or the other. But I did find it interesting. Bring Brian back in for cover. There we go. Yeah. Well, um, uh, but I did want to mention there are some policy issues on here. And of course, school choice being the number one issue that we work on. One of the hu- biggest issues of last year in the session. And of course, everything that happened that we've been over a hundred times. They did ask um, uh, Republican primary voters. And the way they f- frame the question is different. It wasn't just an up or down. Do you support school choice? Of course, we know, you know, 78, 80% of, uh, of, of Republicans support school choice. This was asked um, of Republican primary voters, would you be less or more likely or no difference uh, to vote for somebody if they were supportive of school choice? 60% of Republican voters said they would be more likely to vote for someone if they were supportive of school choice. Only 16% of Republican primary voters said they would be less likely. So that's significant, not Mm -hmm. just because it's a 44 point difference, but because there is a third option, which is it would make no difference, right? Like if it's not an issue that's important to you, that's why, you know, a lot of people use this framing for this issue because they want to also measure intensity. They want to measure how much this issue actually matters uh, to the electorate, that, that it would make a difference in how you actually
actually voted if you mm. knew how they supported issue. And here we have 60% of primary voters saying that it would make a difference uh, if they if they knew that their member did support um, school choice, which is an interesting thing going into the primary, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah, I think it also illustrates that here you have, as we've seen in the ballot question from 22, a very popular policy proposal. You have politicians who have endorsed this particular you know, way of uh, approaching school funding, uh, popular politicians, I should say, and where they unite, it turns to be an area of political salience. So it's, I mean, it's, it's notable, but it's not unexpected, you know, because, you know, I, I, in, in that same poll, if I recall, you know, Abbott is just shy of, of Donald Trump in terms of, you know, I, I don't know how you would phrase this in, in polling science, but basically in coattail policy preference. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the case, you have a very popular politician saying and endorsing on the fact that this is the number one issue. It, you know, yeah. that, that, that at least shows that the, the his political consultants were out there reading those tea leaves. Now, granted, we obviously agree with that. You know, we think that the policy is the right way to go. But that being said is even so, you don't just jump off before you know what's under the uh, water surface. Here it shows that they have done their homework and these are the fruits that are going to start bearing. Yeah, you referenced those numbers. So basically asked if, if such and such endorsed a candidate, would that make a difference to you, um, positive, negative, or no difference at all? 70% said if Trump not, uh, endorsed them, it would make a difference. Uh, 64% Greg Abbott and 61% Ted Cruz. And so that's why, honestly, all of the political advertisements that I've seen that have been going on are simply, you know, take Cruz supports me or Greg Abbott supports me or Donald Trump and in, in, endorsed me. Um, and they're not really getting to the policy stuff um, as much. So um, I think I think this this uh, polling is in, is indicative of that. One of the other questions, they didn't really get too much into policy and, and the border and things like that. But that is obviously a huge issue for Republicans, probably mm-hmm. the number one issue for for uh, the right. Um, and so you won't be surprised to find out uh, that they did ask two policy questions. One is the policy of spending, you know, Texas is spending billions and billions of dollars. We used to spend, you know, hundreds of uh, or you know tens of millions of dollars on border mm-hmm. security because it was being done by the federal government. Now we spend upwards of two, almost three trillion dollars. They asked Republicans. Billion. I'm sorry, uh, three three billion dollars. Yes, that's right. Not half the economy. <laughs> uh, three billion dollars um, uh, uh, of Texas dollars are be, is being spent. Eighty seven percent of Republican primary voters said that they would support that. Now it's frustrating. Now they support it because they want the policy done right. right. Um, but it is obviously disappointing. That, that Texas would have to spend that money anyway. And the, the second one I get want to get your thoughts on is uh, the legislation. It was it HB four during the special session um, that, that empowers Texas law enforcement to arrest illegal immigrants uh, at the border. Eighty nine percent of Republicans uh, support support that law. Mm. So your thoughts on on those laws? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I and I think that when you look at the specific policy proposals, you know, I've said this a new number of times that when it comes to the actual powers in the state's bailiwick, you know, the tools in the toolbox, as it were, we are, I mean, there's always going to be opportunities in different ways to spend money. And again, it's obviously very, it's supported broadly in the electorate. Um, and I would say that if you add this plus or add this question, plus anything in the, uh, on the Democrat side as well, you would see a broad shared support, you know, mm-hmm. different to different degrees, but a broad shared support that yes, the border needs to be fixed. And if, the federal government's not going to do it. Texas has to do it. Mm-hmm. But I've been saying multiple times is I really think we're starting to run out of arrows to fire on the policy side. Mm-hmm. Not that there aren't additional things to be done, but you know we, you know, on, on the right we believe in a, in a in a finite doctrine of powers that any government, whether it's federal or state, has. 
And to, to Governor Abbott's credit is, you know, he has <laughs> fired almost every one of those arrows. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, we'll talk a little bit later, I'm sure, about uh, the, the border bill fiasco uh, in, in Congress, <laughs> you know, that, that clown show. Uh, but that being said is I'm not sure what sort of new developments are going to keep that enthusiasm there. You know what I mean? And that's not and that's not a not saying that, you know, Abbott's leaving options on the table. I think he's being very creative in the different ways of addressing this. But again, I think that as long as you have that great magnetic pull as well as the basic and and yeah, we can. I mean, people will quibble uh, quibble on whether or not it's an open border. Let's. I think we can say for sake of argument that it functionally is a two and a half or two point two million people crossing in the last twelve months. Or yes, but some of them have an app, so it doesn't count. <laughs> um, but all, but all that all that to say, all that to say, is absent meaningful federal intervention with stuff that is uh, definitely within their powers. I don't see it staunching the flow very much. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think that the enthusiasm specifically for these policies might modulate because they say, look, you know, when those were passed, folks like us who pay attention to the floor say, look how much blood was shed, political blood was shed over that bill. Mm-hmm. And that's, I don't feel like the border is fixed now. Right. So in the end, what's it all for? Right. I'm just kind of, now obviously we have a more nuanced take than that, but that's kind of the, you know, what have you done for me lately vision of a lot of, you know, just the general electorate. And they might feel, they might feel that like, look, we had this knockdown drag out and nothing's changed. Right. So why even bother? And and we haven't talked about this. There's been a couple of polls that have come out in the last couple of weeks um, since the last time we had the show. A couple of things. One is you're seeing in the exit polls, um, even amongst the Democrats mm-hmm. and in the exit polls, the number one issue in New Hampshire coming out of the exit poll for Democrats was the border and immigration. And so that's that's why you're seeing uh, Biden take more of an interest in it. Um, and it's funny, you know, we've seen the memes of people saying, you know, 2001, there is no border crisis. 2002, there is no border crisis. 2003, there is no border crisis. And now 2024, there's a border crisis and it's the Republicans' fault. Right? Like that's the messaging change <laughs> yeah. from the from the Democrats. So they they know that it's that it's hurting Biden's reelection uh, chances. And that's why they're they're starting to focus on this. And and to your point, this is becoming a really bipartisan issue because they see, we see it every day. We hear the horror stories, and and it really does look like the administration is just ignoring it. Well, and that's why you see that pivot from where they were, basically the oh, you know, they're denying me this border bill. I thought the Republicans wanted me to fix the border, and of course, that's obviously a cynical take, but it's no different than the particular perspective that the Biden administration. Uh, takes on, remember the whole, uh, in the wake of uh, defunding the police. Now, this was probably more of a congressional campaign than it mm. was, uh, because Biden came, you know, if we look at the, the the peak of defunding the police, that was like, you know, mid to late 2020. And by the time 2021 came around and Biden took office, a lot of the, you know, the, the intellectual uh, barren, uh, intellectually barren uh, landscape for that policy kind of exposed itself. But remember, they they wanted to, uh, at the federal level, Im- implement a funding program to backstop some of the, I, I would say, expectable outcomes from the defund the police movement, you know, when all the everyone's got numbers down and, mm-hmm. you know, crime's starting to surge in these cities. And they go, okay, well, we're just going to cut, you know, through the cop's office or whatever the case might be, the uh, community-oriented policing services office. Say, okay, we're just going to cut a check and start paying these departments. And Republicans are like, no, that's not going to help anything. And they're like, oh, whoa, look at the Republicans out here defunding the police. Yeah, right. And it's just like, (laughs) now granted, maybe their voters are that stupid, Mm -hmm. but 
you know, I would try to give them a little bit, a little bit better of it. And we'll, we'll get it. I'll segue into the, the border bill uh, in just a second because that was the other huge story this week. Mm-hmm. But that's the same thing. I mean, that's what they're saying is like, you know, the, the, the Republicans or the conservatives have had a solution on this for years and they actually passed one in the, the House not too long ago. Um, and, you know, and the Democrats or the Senate have basically been ignoring it the entire time. Mm-hmm. And now they're like, oh, well, we got to do something. So they give you, you know, basically like a terrible bill and say, oh, well, isn't this what you, this is what you wanted? You know, this is what you wanted. And of course, they they stopped that. And now they're pointing the, the finger at Republicans for not supporting the border, yeah. um, which is which is a bit crazy. Uh, before <laughs> we get into that um, uh, too much, I did want to say there, there was another poll last week. Mm-hmm. And while we're talking about polling that, that I thought was interesting and, and sort of related to the border debate um, in Texas, uh, um, for the for what I think is the first time in a long time, um, the Republican candidate, the likely Republican candidate for president, Donald Trump, has a six point lead over Joe Biden mm-hmm. uh, this early in the race. And I'd, I'll have to go back to maybe George W. Bush, um, um, you know, in the early 2000s, maybe was the last time I thought in Texas um, Hispanics were, would favor a, a Republican. But that's a real mm-hmm. red flag. That's a real sort of, you know, uh, canary, can, canary in a coal mine. That's what I was trying to get get to. Uh, what other trite um, uh, phrases can I can I pull out? But it, but I, but it is it was a real red flag I think because there you know there is a backstop in South Texas to some degree to where you know the the there was kind of a landslide in the last 2022 election but usually in the presidentials it kind of gets a little tighter obviously the, during. Um, uh, you know, Ted Cruz's last race was mm-hmm. was very very tight, and there was a lot you know, and a lot of those votes came from South Texas and from the urban areas and suburban areas. Well, now you've got the Hispanic votes that is that is leaning Republican forty seven forty one. Um, and so that's going to be interesting to see kind of where that all plays out mm-hmm. um, uh, going going into Texas. You know, not not that not that you know we think for any stretch of the imagination that that Joe Biden's going to win Texas. But right. if if at the top of the ticket they're voting for for folks like uh, for uh, Donald Trump, what does that mean for Ted Cruz's race and mm-hmm. the down ballot uh, state house races? Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because we look at especially in the, the, the Senate cycles that you have, you know, six year cycles where the same individual will be up in an election year and then not. And because I don't know if you remember back in uh, back in 18, you know, that I I, I, I think uh, Robert Francis's performance probably give him more cre- or I think the numbers give him more credit than the performance deserved, because if you look at it, A, it was a midterm year, B, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Ted Cruz has, I don't want to go into the whole likability Olympics or any of that stuff, but, you know, people have raised that particular, uh, that particular question. First election after Donald Trump. And right. also you forget Ted Cruz was kind of persona non grata after the, uh, the, the convention. And, and that's the point right? is that the, his base was fractured there. Right. And mm-hmm. so that in and of itself is what cast a lot of the uh, a lot of the problems before I get emails and texts from my friends we understand that it's all oh, yeah. smoothed over and Ted Cruz is in good graces with the former president yeah. <laughs> but but yes but that happened at the same time that you basically had the you know that you had this well until he actually started running and opening his mouth what seemed like a moderate uh, to challenge him you know until he started talking about taking guns away and, and things like that mm-hmm. you know it was a guy who was uh road tripping across the uh, United States with, you know, a Republican, uh, it, a nominal Republican, I should say, from uh, from the same state. And so you essentially had like, oh, I, I don't like the, the the caustic nature of political discourse these days. I don't like, you know, the, 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 the pie fights that happen every day. Oh, here's somebody that doesn't necessarily have that stink on them, but also, you know, is moderate, you know, is, again, until he started talking. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that's a good alternative than someone who's you know died in the wool, uh, a conservative who's feuding with uh, Donald Trump. You know, because here's the thing: there are definitely a bunch of conservatives that did not vote for Cruz because of the Trump thing. Mm-hmm. Nobody then voted for him on the liberal side because of the Trump thing. Absolutely. Right. And, yeah, and so, I didn't didn't pull any votes there. And, and, and that's still then that came to what like two and a half, three percent. Yeah, it was really close. And like fifty point so, five. And and so this time through, if it's not high single digit or if it's not low double digits, it'll be high single digits. Yeah. I think you just aren't going to see the uh, replication of that because mm-hmm. Beto. I mean, look, yeah. just look at what's going on on the Democrat side with. Um, uh, Allred versus uh, Gutierrez, mm-hmm. you know, you basically have Allred, the the odds-on favorite, kind of trying to run a more moderate campaign. But even folks on the moderate left are calling him out from how he's running his campaign. And, you know, Roland Gutierrez is basically a, a one-note pony on mm-hmm. how Ted Cruz is a terrorist. And it's just, it's not... It, Nobody, there are no, there are no, uh, the trenches are not moving. Yeah. Adding to the, the low enthusiasm on the left, there's also a statistic amongst um, Hispanic voters, only 55% of Democrat primary voters, right? So these are actual Democrat primary voters who are Hispanic. Only 55% of that group wants Joe Biden to be the nominee. 45% want it to be somebody else. That is the lowest amongst any demographic amongst Democrat primary voters. Whites are about 78%. uh, Blacks are about 79%. So you have a demographic that already, uh, as a whole, supports Donald Trump over Joe Biden. And then even amongst Joe Biden's own voters, you have almost half that that don't want to see him at the top of the ticket, at the top of the ticket. So I think again, back to the canary in the coal mine. That could that could, you know, fare for some interesting results uh, come this November. It's, it's a Nevada caucus problem, you know. It's a uh, you know he got beat by none of these candidates. You know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. The last thing I'll say about the poll, um, you know, and just and just to be fair, we don't just highlight you know all the good stuff uh, that we think about, you know, that 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 pushes our narratives, I guess, in the poll. You know, we and we've talked about this before, and I'm I really really respect your comments on this. So I'd, I'd be interested to see what you thought, mm. 68% of Republican primary voters uh, still believe that you need to be at least 21 years old to purchase uh, an AR-15 style assault rifle. 68% of Republicans and mm. you, you know, again, this kind of cuts against the narrative that Republicans are you know, super, super pro you know, um, uh, Second Amendment you know, and obviously, you know, if you're 18 years old, you can go and fight for your country and get you know, a gun, you know, much more deadly than an AR-15 mm-hmm. um, and we, you know, we reserve, you know, we say you know, when you're 18, you become an adult. But yet, we have almost 70 percent of Republican primary voters who think, you know, well, this kind of thing needs to wait until you're 21. Thoughts on that? Well, yeah, and, and here's the problem, though, because you, essentially, I saw this, I, I saw this kind of emerge within the uh, the, the 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 primary debates uh, that are going on on the Republican side is that individuals who support that particular policy, like, oh, well, you need, you know, if you need to be 21 to buy a handgun, then you clearly need to be 21 to buy a rifle. And that's that's backwards logic. The problem is, is the only reason that any sort of handgun, you know, an, an age-dependent handgun ban was upheld is because you still have the ability, uh, under current Second Amendment analysis, to arm yourself under commonly used weapons of the time. Mm-hmm. That... Like an AR-15. Right. Um, in doing so, though, if you were to forego that, then you make the Second Amendment an entire age-dependent right. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I there are very few 
I shouldn't say there are very few, but there, you know, there are many, many policy disagreements that I have that I will definitely be willing to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. This is one that obviously I feel very strongly about, but I'm willing to have that conversation as well. The problem is if we make certain things age dependent, things that are clearly established within the Bill of Rights within the Constitution, if we make those an age tiered right, we should be. There really is no cap for what else we could do uh, what else fundamental liberty you know mm -hmm. I, I i always throw out there and people have accused it of being canard being a red herring why not make vo you know like look if you have the power to vote then you as a second order effect have the power to send your peers to their death mm -hmm. to their death overseas that is that is the power and the implicit responsibility within casting a vote in doing so you can have you can do a lot more damage is that something we should also make mm -hmm. age dependent? You know, they say, oh, you can't rent a car without a without a penalty until you're 25. Let's, let's raise them all to 25. Now, that's this, not in the Constitution. Yeah, I mean, no, that's an might, obvious one to push yeah, back this, on. This might, this might surprise you, Brian. I'm a bit older than 25. Uh, but, th but that being said, is you don't look a day, and no, I won't go there. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, I, you do realize I don't do your performance feedback. So, um, that that being said, there. If we wanted to make an age-dependent right, and then there was no mooring as to when we do that, and look, you can make the argument that you know brain development, you know, for you know guys doesn't necessarily reach its peak until 25. Uh, some of us much later, uh, but you know, brain development doesn't meet that particular. Then, if that's the standard we're going by, we need to change everything, mm -hmm. not from voting to gun owning, but like everything you can't have drinks so you're 25 you know and now granted the uh the anti-tobacco lobby will probably get there soon enough but you can't smoke or yeah uh what's it now uh, use a zin until you're 25 yeah yeah, so. yeah i mean for me it's uh, you know all those examples we can't do this till you're 21 you can't do that till 25 well to me it's pretty easy those things aren't in the constitution right, right? like drinking but, but then use and, voting though yeah and yeah right so voting would be would be a good one you know again we, we've been over this a few shows back you know as long as we're going to say in society that you're an adult at 18 mm -hmm. you can't then have certain you know certain some adults having some rights in the Constitution and other adults right. having more rights in the Constitution. If it's going to be 18, then it's going to be 18. If we decide as a society that we want to move that to 21 or we want to move that to 25, okay, fine. I mean, obviously kids, you know, 13, 14 years old don't have the same constitutional rights. So we understand that there's a difference between a 12-year-old and a 25-year-old. Mm -hmm. That's fine. I'm fine with that. But we have set the marker in society to be at 18. Yeah. If we want to move that as a society, okay, fine. At least at least be consistent. But I don't yeah. like, you know, and, and I I get, you know, once you get into the specifics of the issues, um, you know, it may feel a little bit different. But I think as a principle, you can't mm. have some adults having some constitutional rights and other adults not having constitutional rights yeah. outside of them forfeiting those rights like it's, committing crimes. And, 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 and is it arbitrary? Is it arbitrary? Absolutely it is. What's the alternative? Right. Yeah. A different arbitrary date? <laughs> probably. Yeah, <laughs> probably. OK, well, I just want to poke through that poll because I thought that was interesting, especially now because we have just under a month until the, the prime until yeah. we hit the primary. So the whole world changes on March 5th for a lot of reasons, both in the school choice debate and and a, and a lot of other things. So it's going to be really interesting. I think um, I haven't even done our self-promotion, our, our shameless <laughs> self-promotion on all of our stuff. But usually um, I don't know if we do it for the primary, but usually for the uh, for the general election. Uh, 
in in November we did a um, uh, we we had a four hours worth of of uh, feedback or we, analysis or whatever, and every hour we do about a fifteen minute live stream uh, with um, Derek Ryan, who a lot of folks who watch the show or listen to the show know. Uh, we had him. We had you know folks from TPPF that would come on and kind of give their analysis of what they thought. And so we'll probably do something like that again. We'll probably me and you will host a, host some folks on and and talk about. The I'm, I'm I'm actually willing to uh, you know make a call right now. I have a feeling Biden's going to carry California, and New York. Wow, those are those wow. are major you electoral things. You heard yeah. it here first, and Trump gets Texas and Florida. Yeah. Huge if true, but yeah. <laughs> um, so, anyway, so we'll do that. Also, of course, um, you know, my favorite thing to promote here is our, our weekly email. It's called The Post. It's our weekly newsletter. It has a lot of exclusive content. It has kind of a wrap-up of all the different things that TPPF is working on. It has some fun stuff. Of course, we've always got – we're going to have something about Valentine's in today's edition of The Post. Uh, you can sign up for that if you're not already signed up. Getting a lot of really good feedback on that. So if you're not signed up, go to texaspolicy.com slash the post. Uh, and you can sign up for that as well. Okay. Um, all right. Before we go into the border bill madness, anything going on in the interim? You know, last time we said it, things are still pretty quiet. Um, I know maybe some hearings and things might be coming up uh, in mm-hmm. the next couple of months. Uh, but 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 anything going on in the legislature? Right, not, right now? At, well, first of all, the House chamber is not even going to be open again this year. Uh, they're upgrading the. Uh, upgrading all the systems in there and of course we saw a lot of banter on the uh, internet like you know are we going to get like a what is it i can't remember what the actual uh, sports book is but get like a screen like that That, which (laughs) for me that would be great you know instead of having like everybody with the uh, text on their ipads Mm -hmm. just broadcast it to like the side of a building you know that'd be pretty slick does the senate does the the senate do they still have physically have to vote up or down no no they have uh because in the u.s senate they do they actually have to physically do the up or down they thing. it will once they get out of their uh their hoodies and get in there yeah um though actually we shouldn't shouldn't throw shade on uh, John, yeah we shouldn't throw shade on uh, john fetterman after he's uh, yeah, become he's quite based strong. as of late yeah um but that being said is you know in the senate they don't uh but a lot of times they pre-register their uh they pre-register their vote so that's mm-hmm. why when you see uh patsy who's the uh the, the secretary of senate go through like you know alvarado birdwell and then, and then like they you know they usually have the gavel fall by the time you get to like name number yeah. three it's because a lot of that's already been that is one of the one of my favorites is when they zip through all the bills and they're especially in the house when they like go like at you're a local consent guy yeah, yeah yeah just going crazy it's fun it's fun to watch um that and, and you get a the, cattle caller doing that like the, somebody certified by the auctioneers the know? auctioneers yeah, yeah exactly that'd be fun <laughs> all right so let's get into the the biggest story this week of course was the the, the so-called border security bill that was in the u.s senate um that you know i don't even know if we need to go to the par- the parade of horribles uh, that was in this bill mm. just to set the stage the you know the, the the leadership of both republicans and the democrats in the senate got together and and put a bill together didn't let anybody see it until i think sunday night or maybe monday morning mm-hmm. and within about 24 hours um cut to the chase within about 24 hours the conservative movement a lot of conservative um uh folks in the senate mike lee and others um came out and said the bill was just horrendous and would mm-hmm. not only would not do anything to to actually create border border security actually would make things worse um, and and in our words at TPPF would actually codify the crisis mm-hmm. probably the most notorious provision was that the federal government wouldn't even begin to start shutting down the border unless uh, unless we were seeing an average of five thousand mm-hmm. illegals crossing into the country every single day over a seven day period or up to eighty five hundred in a single day mm-hmm. and so while it's probably not 
exactly correct to say it would allow 5,000 right. people to come in. Certainly there would be, you know, people uh, still out there. Um, the, you know, for all intents and purposes, it essentially would set um, a floor that that many people essentially would be coming in every single day, which if you do the math, that gets up to over 1.8 million people, right. which of course is the border security crisis we're having right now when 2.2 million people came in last year. So that's why people are saying it codifies the crisis mm. because it would allow almost 2 million people in uh, every single year before we would shut down the border. Um, that's why I got, that's why I got killed. Right. I mm. mean, that's, that's exactly uh, the reason why I got killed. Um, I mean, wh- why would you think, you know, why, why would the Republicans even, even support anything like this or, or push something out there like this? Well, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. Well, I mean, to answer your question directly, why would the Republicans support this? It's because uh, uh, Senator Langford was asked or voluntold to, to, to come up with a, <laughs> a, a complementary solution to uh, H.R. 2 uh, in order to, because H.R. 2 really quickly was the, the House solution, complete enforcement, um, obviously, what we would hear would think would be a superior product to um, to the Senate plan. Unfortunately, the the problem is with specifically the Senate plan is I think it was very ignorant on the politics of this. Mm-hmm. But first of all, we have to recognize, and like I said, I have a more I would probably say that I have a more nuanced take on on the border. But but I mean, should it have passed? No, I, I'll be the first to say. Was it a attempt to try to thread between the rocks of of the, the political moment we're in? Yes, and that's where it failed mm-hmm. because I think that it was fairly tone deaf, in and how it was being portrayed. So let's take a, a step back. There's something in there for everybody to hate. Uh, <laughs> left, right, border hawks, border doves, whatever the case. There's something in there for everybody to hate. You know, some people some people say that's a sign of a good compromise. I say, or it was half baked, and yeah. you, you left a lot of the runny part in the middle. <laughs> um, but like, remember, because this was paired with Ukraine and Israel funding, right? Right, and that was because. That was because that was the Republican tactic, saying no more money for uh, Ukraine without Israel, or no, you know, unless you're going to do something about the border, not you know, no, uh, you know, no funding for uh, you know foreign powers without a border solution. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, that was largely a Republican ploy to actually right. put those two th- or three things together, which makes this even more maddening, right? Because yeah. that because you have conservatives that didn't support the Ukraine funding, and right. so the payoff was yeah. going to be to get their votes was going yeah. to be a strong border bill. So like the Chip Roy's and, and of the it world could have probably gotten there if it would have been cooked better, right? You know? Yeah, the Chip Roy's of the world are out there saying, "Give us a border bill, and then we'll consider Ukraine funding." Yeah. But then the border bill that they gave them was completely unacceptable. Right. Well, and and so 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 here's the thing, and this is where I, I think our, our takes diverge a little bit is there were good things in that bill. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that the the 5 and the 8.5 were one of the good things. And, I, and that's because of this. Right now, there the, those represented caps by where it, wherein the secretary had to shut down the border. Mm-hmm. It was it was a uh, shall, not a may. It was they had to. The problem, of course, being is obviously those are really, really high marks. Now, the problem, though, is when you put that to the status quo is the cap that exists right now for shutting down the border mm-hmm. Is infinite. Mm-hmm. So if we had, you know, six thousand every day for a month, nothing to stop it. It keeps right. going. If we had, you know, nine thousand today, and it, under that plan, nothing, you know, nothing would stop it. Right. The problem, though, of course, is again they sold this as, you know, if they would have had tighter caps or had, um, I would say, 
even stronger provision. Because again, another good part of the bill, I would say, or a improvement on the status quo was the asylum provisions. So in other words, not like, hey, as soon as you get a foot on uh, dry land on this side of the uh, this side of the river, you say, oh, I'm, uh, you know, I, I have credible fear. Right. And then like, oh, well, see you in 12 years, I guess we'll hear all about it. <laughs> report, um, report back. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. We're out of ankle monitors, by the way, too. So just, hey, you're on yeah. your honor, person right. who broke into this country illegally. But that being said <laughs> is that would they tightened up a lot of those standards in mm-hmm. terms of you know intermediate countries the def- definitions of credible fear those were good things mm-hmm. and so being able to even turn away asylees you know after that certain point would have been a good thing mm-hmm. the problem to your point though is again coupled with you know the the foreign funding that you know many people you know if you're a, if you're a liberal and you're like oh yeah ukraine funding israel funding bad if you're a conservative you're more like israel funding good ukraine funding bad or at least those are the general dynamics yeah and the problem is then you roll it in with other sort of border spending that doesn't even directly get to the sweet spot of where we need border spending you know yeah. again they're trying to work I, I appreciate what they're trying to go for they're trying to work through uh the collection uh the, or the backlog i'll say of all these asylum cases by by that they're bringing on more asylum mm-hmm. officers that seems rightly so is more government spending and not only that but all if you look at what do conservatives want in this regard they're like a freaking wall mm-hmm. just give us a yeah, wall I, I think you make yeah. a really good point yeah. about the the policy specifics yeah. versus the versus the politics and they aggregate and then they aggregate up into bad politics by the different coalitions I, you're setting against i would each even other. use the word perception really because yeah. i mean obviously as the messaging guy you know the bad the you're right if you really dig into the policy you know you can kind of make the case and you kind of understand why they would have come up with what they came up with mm-hmm. but the perception to conservatives conservatives who are, who are sitting here saying yeah. the acceptable number for us is is zero right right you need to be doing everything you can possibly do to get yeah. operational control of the border and that the acceptable number is zero now we're not you know we we understand that the cartels are sophisticated yeah. and that people are going to get through but the perception right. was with those provisions is that it was acceptable to get up to 5000 and yeah. and so your your point is right 5000 is a lot less than an infinite certainly yeah. the 12000 that yeah. we were seeing in some days but but it seemed like what they were saying is the acceptable number is right. up to 5000 what right. we needed to hear was that the acceptable number is zero. And, and a sign of good faith that you could have shown for that was by surging instead of, and don't get me wrong, the, the backlog is going to be the backlog, but instead of hiring, you know, a zillion new federal employees, one of the ways to have done that would have been to directly with big, bright, shining lights, allocate money for a border wall. Mm-hmm. And, and again, we, we, we're here, we're wall plus here, I think we can say. Yeah. Uh, meaning that you can't solve the problem with just the wall, but it helps. Yeah. But that even being said is they wouldn't even, you know, even put that olive branch across the table. And that's why the politics soured so quickly mm-hmm. is because there was no recognition, to your point, of the fact that there was a very strong contingent, not even in the Republican Party or solely in the Republican Party, that wants some sort of physical border infrastructure right. that was largely ignored. The other point, and then we I want to move on because we've got some fun stuff to do. And we're, we're at, you know, I can't believe we're, the show's almost over. Uh, mm-hmm. We've been talking about it a lot. But um, the one thing that I think is the fatal flaw, and this actually goes back to, you know, this is in my political lifetime and, and working in politics. This is now the third time that Congress has tried to do something on the border mm-hmm. or on immigration in 2006 uh, under Bush. 
and then of course in 2013 and Rubio mm-hmm. and the whole debacle there uh, with with that amnesty plan. The problem, the mm-hmm. fatal flaw in all three of these is, is that the bills and the policies themselves immediately grant amnesty and in this case open borders, right? Or maybe that's too far for you to say, but I say you get the amnesty immediately, like the next day. People You're talking, start, are you talking like work permits? Like what are you, yeah, how are you yeah. defining amnesty? Well, in 2013 it was, oh, it was. Yeah. This border bill was really just about open borders and the 5,000, but the yeah. last two ones before that it was about amnesty, you know, uh, uh, pathways to citizenship and right. work permits. Like literally the next day. The, I'm not the, a tyrant, but I have a pen and a phone kind of stuff. Right, yeah. right, exactly. And they could, so the next day people who were here illegally, there was, you know, they, they supposedly had all these, these hoops that people had to jump through. But of course there's all these exceptions when you really look at the law, but, but really yeah. the people who were here illegally the next day could go in and start applying for legal status here, mm-hmm. could start applying for, for pathways to citizenship and all of that. And then the promises for, you know, uh, for a hamburger tomorrow mm-hmm. were the border security. Yeah. It was, you know, okay, here's a bunch of yep. money. Here's a check to CBP or here's a check to DHS. Go secure the border, you know, in the next three to five years. So you get all of the amnesty today mm-hmm. and maybe potentially some border security in three to five to seven years. Mm-hmm. And and that's why all of these bills failed is right. because conservatives have been saying, you know, however you do it, you've got to secure the border first. Right. You've got to, you know, I hate to use the whole plumbing, you know, bad analogy, but you've got to stop the leak before you can really address the water and, and start your cleanup. That's what conservatives have been saying for two yep. decades. And every single one of these bills And we've fails, said as much here. And, we, and every single one of these bills failed to do that in that order. So you're never going to get conservative right. support for this because if you if you grant the amnesty today with promises of border security tomorrow, that's just not something that, you know, we've been duped enough. Conservatives have been duped enough on mm-hmm. this. And actually, that's what they did in, in the 80s. That's actually the, the bill that Reagan accepted was right. was was accepting amnesty for at the time I think it was five to seven million mm-hmm. um, uh, people here illegally never got the border security they probably they right. probably spent a lot of money yeah. but never got to the border security and I think that's what the real fatal flaw is in all of these bills yeah and I just, I just want to say for clarification this isn't a Cato Institute style oh well you know all societies need unfettered immigration uh, to stay vibrant not saying that at all I just think that there there's I, I think there is a way, and and, and I, I would say HR2 is probably closer to my understanding of that way, in order to, to your point, scratch that itch that actually gets that security front and center. Yeah. All right. So um, I did want to hit, because I think it's actually a really, really big deal. Um, I wanted to make sure, and it is kind of fun to talk about it, because we were obviously love sports, and we spent probably too much time on the Super Bowl. Anyway. Is but- such a thing even possible? The FIFA World Cup. I mean, I don't. I hate. You know, I'm. I know soccer is probably not the most uh, popular sport in America, but it is a big deal that the world's coming. Uh, the yeah. World Cup is coming uh, to to America. The final is, of course, being played in MetLife Stadium mm-hmm. in New York, <laughs> but. Texas and and AT and T Stadium up in Dallas is going to get nine games. Are you? Uh, pumped? I know you're a big soccer yeah, fan. Are you pumped to yeah, see I think the World they, Cup? I think here? they said Texas total from stem to stern is getting like sixteen. Oh wow! Okay, uh, I think uh, NRG is doing it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, before we jump in, I just want it was funny. I saw this meme the other day that says we are taking literally the most expensive ACLs in the world and sending it to MetLife Stadium, like it's, <laughs> which of, which of course is uh, which is yeah, that's uh, believe me that uh, the humor of that is not wasted on somebody who's had my knee open as many times ah. as I have. But that being said, no, it, it is it is a real big deal, and I think that it, it's a big deal for for two reasons, and we have first and foremost is that Texas specifically. Tech, soccer in Texas is is fairly popular, and a lot of that could be it's you know just our geographic proximity to places where it's you know much much huge. more popular. Yeah, but also, just if you look at what it takes to to play, you know it takes an open field 
and a ball. And so obviously we're kind of a state that's, you know, definitely primed for that as well. So I would say it's fairly popular in Texas. And not only that, but once you get to the World Cup, we're starting talking, we're talking about bringing folks in from all from all over the world. And when I say all over the world, I mean, not necessarily uh, expats from those countries, but actually folks from there. And we're going to be able to show them what actual barbecue seems like and uh, <laughs> or actual barbecue tastes like. And it, it's going to be a great opportunity for outreach for the state. Now, that being said, is that also parallels with, now here's where I'm going to go off on the, the soccer ramp, is that the United States team, which is about, I can't remember, I haven't looked at their recent rankings, but internationally somewhere between like 11th and 13th, hmm. you know, or, or somewhere. That's, that's how much higher than I would have expected. Oh, no, it's, so I, we've always been fairly, even when we were in some dire straits, it was still in the, I don't think you realize the difference, but the, the gap between one and five is infinite is infinitely larger than the gap between five and ten. Right. Okay. And, and so just when we t- <laughs> talking about this like stratospheric level of uh, of talent, and the the having the access to that in Texas is going to be bolstered, as I was saying, by the USA actually being good. And so again, not to go with into names or this whole analysis or to start doing X's and O's and running the board, is that <laughs> we white your car row whiteboard out exactly. We right now have a, a crop of youngsters who are b- between the ages of let's just say. 20 to 25 which not which depending on where you're playing is either pre your physical peak or for some positions it's uh that that's where it is and then if you're a defender or goalie you can you know it's like throwing a knuckleball you can do it till you're like 57 years old um but that being said is the united it's going to be here in the united states the united states is on an upward trajectory uh, we we had a good you know we only won one game in the group stage in the 22 World Cup and a lot of people thought that was like some sort of some sort of representation of, of us being bad but we had we had the group of death which is you know basically any any one of these or any two of these four teams can come out mm-hmm. and we still came out and then we ran into a European powerhouse in in the uh, Netherlands on the other side but that being said is in the ascendancy it being in the United States I think this is going to do a lot for the game the last time we had a kind of a confluence of positive factors like this was in 94 and 90, 96 is when uh, the MLS started. And that's obviously, you've seen the money that's involved with that. You know, got Messi coming, you're Messi here now. Yeah, yeah. You got, you know, Austin has its own team. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's been going gangbusters. And I think a, a second phase of that evolution is going to be coming. And despite being a bad team, the team here in Austin is, is very popular. They were very good their second year. That's right. Third yeah. year, not so much. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, and I'm not a huge soccer fan. I don't follow it at all. But for some reason, when I, you know, I get the, the, you everyone know, loves the, the bad the feels. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> you start seeing your American teams and start and start supporting them. So I, I do. Well, I so do long as that American stuff. team's not turning around and kneeling for the national anthem and right. spitting on the flag. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Of course. So it'll be interesting. It'll be fun to watch, you know, these stadiums here in America and, and watch everybody get excited and excited for it. Plus, it can't hurt the economy here in Texas. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's obviously going to be good for that. Um, all right. Well, we, have definitely run over our time. We've got Jefferson in the background, like waving red flags and lights and stuff at us. He's like, hey, he's hitting a gong. <laughs> but we hit sports twice, so you know what are you going to do? <laughs> um, all right. So we really, again, as always, we really appreciate everybody who listens, everybody who watches the show. Um, you know, if you want to get in touch with us or you have show issues or, or um, not show issues, if you have issues you'd like to see or hear us talk about or address or even guests that you'd want to see on the show, uh, we really appreciate your feedback on all those things. So thank you very much for watching. Thank you very much for listening. And as we always like to say, do good and risk the consequences. We'll see you next time.